Good to see everybody today. Um, getting excited. We're getting a little bit uh, closer uh, to the big day, uh, a little bit closer to my eldest daughter coming home from school, spent some time with us, uh, been missing her, and I'm sure you guys are looking forward to spending time together with family members as well. Um, but we are um, in the midst of, of celebrating the season known as Advent. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we're in our third week today uh, in our sermon series, Prepare, uh, during the season of Advent. Advent is celebrated for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and today is the third week, and that week is symbolized uh, by the pink or rose candle called uh, joy, or the candle of joy. And it kind of marks that time where we now are past the halfway point. Uh, we're now closer to Christ's arrival than we were at the start, and that's reason for us to rejoice. And we are exploring the first couple of chapters in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, three weeks ago, uh, Pastor Ryan kicked off the series by talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And last week, uh, we looked at verses that followed, and we rediscovered a wonderful doctrine and that is the doctrine of the incarnation. And we saw that as the angel Gabriel came to Mary, announced to her that she was going to have a child who would be known as the Son of God. So this morning, we're going to pick up right where we left off. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, this wonderful time of year where we not only get to spend time with family and friends, but Lord, we get to reflect upon your first coming and the reason why you came and the implications of that for our lives. Lord, it's also a time for us to look ahead to your return because you have promised that one day you will come back and you will take us home to be with you. And so, Lord, we anxiously await that day, even as as the Old Testament saints looked ahead for your first coming, Lord, uh, we look ahead to your second. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our teacher and our guide here this morning as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what's the first thing you do when you get good news? Yeah, woo yell, rejoice, pray, thank God, of course. But I'm thinking of something that is, is probably not as spiritual as praying or thanking God, but it's a natural reaction. You tell someone. You, you, tell, you receive some good news, you tell somebody else about it. Um, I remember, I remember um, how I felt um, when I asked my wife to marry me, and she said, yes. Um, I was blown away. Um, I could not contain myself, and I had to tell everybody about it. And I felt the same way um, all three times when she told me she was pregnant. It, it's just, you get news like that, you can't keep it to yourself. You know, there's good news that's too good to keep to yourself, and that would have been one of it. And, and, and that's exactly what's happening in our text here this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 39 through 56 in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to it. I don't have my little monitor here, so I may need you to kind of advance the slides here for me. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. 
It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now that Mary knows that she's going to have a baby and her relative Elizabeth is uh, six months pregnant as well, she decides uh, to take a trip. And she heads several miles south into the hill country of Judea to a town where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived. And, and as she enters the house, you have to kind of picture it, as she enters into the house, the baby, who we know to be John the Baptist, Elizabeth's baby almost sensing the proximity of Christ in Mary's womb, leaps for joy, rejoices. And Mary, or excuse me, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, it's, it's not hard to see that joy is really the predominant theme here. You see this uh, in this passage with Elizabeth's cry, with the baby leaping for joy. You see it in Mary's Magnificat, or her song of praise. This is an, an amazing song of praise, by the way. Her, her song reveals a deeply humble heart filled with gratitude for all that God has done for her. She's not thinking of herself, but she's meditating on God and all the things that he has done for her. And she says quite simply, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, you know, when I think of magnify, you know, you, you, you get your magnifying glass to put it on something so that object becomes what? Bigger. 
so you can see it more clearly. And this idea of Mary magnifying the Lord with the soul, she says, God, I want to see you. I want you to be bigger than me, bigger than anything. I want you to have preeminence. And this verse not only reveals Mary's heart, but her understanding that she too was a sinner. Now, I, I don't know what your background was, but my background growing up, I had been taught that, that Mary was actually without sin. And, we, and it, the doctrine was called the Immaculate Conception of, of Mary. And that God miraculously precluded her from sinning. And I remember reading this passage one day, and I'm thinking, my soul doth magnify the Lord and rejoice in God, my Savior. And I thought, wait, if Mary was sinless, why did she need a Savior? And then it dawned on me, she was a sinner too, in need of a Savior. And it just blew my mind, but, but when you understand that, you can understand the reason for her joy. The reason why she says what she says, and her joy is not so much a fact that, that she's going to have a baby, although that's a good reason. Same thing for Elizabeth. I mean, if you've been barren, and all of a sudden you can have a baby, that's a good reason for joy. Rather, though, their cause for joy is the byproduct of having God's favor in their life. And this morning, we're going to discover that when God pours out his favor on his people, it is always for his glory and for our good. So this morning, I want to try to unpack that statement. And you'll probably hear it from me in a couple of different ways this morning. But I want to do it by asking three questions. First, what exactly is God's favor? Second, why did he choose to pour it out on Mary and Elizabeth? And third, why does he choose to pour it out on us? So let's take a look at the first one. What is the favor of God? Um, now, have you ever been asked for a favor? Have you ever asked anybody for a favor? All the time, don't we? Hey, would you, would you do me a favor? Could you do me a favor? What do we mean by that? Today, you might hear someone say, hey, would you do me a solid? Same thing. Would you do me a favor? But, but, but doesn't it mean something like this? Can you help me out? Can you do something for me? And preferably something good. Thus, we ask for a favor. The new Oxford American Dictionary dis, uh, defines favor as an act of kindness be beyond what is due or usual, something done or granted out of goodwill. So I want you to keep that in mind as we look at this text, and I want you to look back at verse 28. So Luke 1, verse 28 through 30, because I want you to see this again. In verse 28, um, we read, and he came to her, that is the angel, and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So twice here we see this word favor, favored and favor. And it is the Greek word charis. And it appears 148 times in the New Testament. 
And you'll find it translated in a variety of different ways, but it means unmerited favor. It is goodwill, kindness, even a gift. And most often in the New Testament, this Greek word is translated into the word grace. And we've talked about grace before as being God's unmerited favor. Now, you have to understand that having God's favor is not synonymous um, with uh, having all of your wishes granted by God. Just because you have God's favor in your life doesn't mean everything you've ever hoped for, everything you've always wanted is going to come true. It's, it's much deeper than that. And oftentimes, I think well-meaning Christians inadvertently slip into that trap of thinking about God's favor or God's grace as a good experience, a positive experience. We'll say things like, um, we're blessed with good health, family, good friends, a good job, and the like. And these things are indeed blessings, but I think it, it kind of reveals that our theology might be a little shallower than it ought to be. First of all, most of us, when we talk about God's blessings in our life, don't automatically think that the blessings that we have, we have received in life are actually intended for somebody else. We, we tend to view them as ours. And, and it's even rarer to think of things like difficulty, pain, Suffering, persecution even, as a blessing. We run from those things. But yet throughout the scripture, it is those things that God uses to refine our character and to achieve his purposes in the world. God's favor is simply his unmerited kindness towards us for his glory and for the good of others. And I think as you study scripture, when you start reading about God's favor in people's lives, I think what you'll begin to see is that there seems to be a relationship between God's favor and God entrusting his people with a difficult mission. Seems to be that connection. So grace is not just poured out on us for our benefit, it's poured out for the benefit of others. So this leads me to my second question, why Elizabeth and why Mary? Now we've already seen Mary uh, was favored by God. The angel came to her and said as much. But Elizabeth too recognizes the favor of God as well. In verse 43, uh, the NIV translates it this way, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now that's a good question. Why? Why am I favored? Why did God favor Mary and Elizabeth? Well, both of these women were graced by God for a purpose. Um, and when you think about it, I know that we might be tempted to think God chose them because they were so holy. They were so righteous. 
that it was based on something in them that caused God to want to choose them for the mission or the task that he had. But that's not the case. They weren't chosen for their piety. There was nothing in them that merited God's favor. Mary has already admitted here, you know, that she's a sinner, that she needs a savior. It was simply a matter of God's gracious choice. There's nothing really in the text to indicate um, their personal piety or holiness had anything to do with it. The, the, the reality is they were responsive to God's grace and God's favor. Mary said, may it be done to me as you have said. And notice this too. Mary does not say she was blessed above women. She said she was blessed among women. She doesn't view herself as better or holier than, than other women around her. She sees herself as just another woman, but I have been blessed, I have been favored among other women. She understands that God bestowed on her an honor she did not deserve. And the emphasis here is on God's sovereign choice, not Mary's worthiness. And I think that's important for us to understand because I think sometimes we, we got it wrong. We, we think God uses us because of us, and he doesn't. He uses us in spite of us, in spite of our failure, in spite of our sin. That's how big our God is. And what is the purpose of his favor? Was it just to merely provide a personal blessing to Mary and to Elizabeth? That they could enjoy the, 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 the blessings and the wonder of motherhood? No, I think God, I know God had a much bigger plan than just that. God's favor on Elizabeth allowed Elizabeth to give birth to a son who would prepare the way of the Lord. He would be a voice crying in the wilderness calling people to repentance. Mary would have the privilege of bringing the Messiah into the world. And as wonderful as it is to have God's favor in your life, I don't know if Mary or Elizabeth could have even imagined what was in store for them. Because having God's favor in your life doesn't mean that things are going to turn out the way that you think or the way that you want. When you think about it, Elizabeth had God's favor, but her son would one day be beheaded. Imagine dealing with that as a mom. And what about Mary? Mary, highly favored by God. And yet, most people around her didn't view it, view it that way. They saw her as an adulterer. Imagine living in a community, in a neighborhood, where you're perceived that way. Her pregnancy would have been seen not as a miracle, but as proof of adultery. And according to the law, she could have been stoned to death. Now, you say, well, how do we really know that? Well, there are other historical documents that tell us as much. In fact, in the Talmud, uh, Jewish writings, Christ is, is 
actually called an illegitimate child, and I use the polite phraseology there. In Sanhedrin 106a, we're told that Mary was a harlot. Again, I'm using more polite language. And I quote, she who was the descendant of princes and governors played the harlot with carpenters. So she had God's favor. But there is no doubt in my mind that there was much anguish and heartache as she was bringing into the world the Son of God. In Luke chapter 2, Mary would learn through a righteous old man that her child would be appointed for the fall of and the rising of many in Israel. And then she would be told this, that a sword will pierce your own heart, your own soul. And my mind goes to that scene in the Passion of the Christ where Jesus carrying his cross and Mary is seen to be looking on and just trying to comprehend what it must have been like to, to, to look upon your, your, your son, knowing how badly beaten and bruised he was, that he was being led to his death. But remember, Mary was highly favored by God. And she's not the only one that has experienced this. When you, when you think of all the people in the Bible who have experienced God's favor, most of them, if not all of them, have experienced some type of difficulty, some kind of struggle, something in which they needed God's strength and God's grace to get through. In Genesis 6-8, we read about Noah. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And think about what Noah had to endure for, what, 120 years or whatever, building a boat, the ridicule that he must have received. What about how he felt as he looked over and saw the vast numbers of people being swept away by the flood? In Acts chapter 7, verse 9, speaking of Joseph, we read, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh. Did you catch that? And gave him favor. God gave Joseph favor, but think about what it involved. Think about the pain and the suffering and how much time went by before God's plan came to fruition. And then think about Jesus himself in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. It says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The favor of God the Father was on God the Son, and it led him to the cross. So don't mistake God's favor for warm fuzzies and good experiences. If you get it, rejoice in it. But understand, God is just as big. He can use the very things that cause us the deepest hurt to bring about his purposes and our good. 
Having God's favor does not mean that we won't experience pain and suffering, but it does mean good will come from it and God will be glorified in it. And what's important for us to understand is Mary and Elizabeth received God's favor so that God's favor might be upon us. And that leads us to the final question I want to explore this morning, and and that is simply, why you and me? Why does God pour out his favor on us? I think it's probably clear to you by now, it's not because of anything in us. We got to be crystal clear on that. I like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you are in Christ here this morning, it's not because of anything that you've done. It's simply because of the grace of God his unmerited favor. It is because he chose to lavish his grace on you. But remember this, God's favor has come upon you because it's headed to somebody else. That blessing is not just so that we can get to heaven one day. God wants to use us here on this earth so that others might experience his favor. Let me give you some examples of of how God's favor in our life um, can be used for other people. Think about um, financial and material blessings, if you would. What Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you have received it, why do you boast as though you have not received it? Everything we have, we have received from the Lord as a gift from him. The question is, what will we do with it? How will we invest in eternity? Scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So let me ask you, what are you doing with God's provisions? How are you using them? How are they a source of blessing to others? Or are you hoarding them for yourself? I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul is talking about the Macedonian church. And and I have to to admit, it puts the church in America to shame. But but listen to what he says here in, in chapter 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, the favor of God, 
that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, what the church was doing there, the church in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, was suffering. And here, their brothers and sisters in Christ, these Gentile believers, took it upon themselves to say, you know what, we don't have much. In fact, we're, we're pretty poor ourselves, but we're gonna give. And we're gonna give joyfully and generously to help our brothers and sisters. You see, God's favor came upon them so that they could be a blessing to others. So we need to understand that everything that we have belongs to God. We're simply stewards of it. But it's not just finances. It's not just material things. What about if you have an abundance of time? Some of you have more time than others. Some of you are retired. You got lots of time. And you can give your time to the Lord and to the service of others in ways that those of us who are working 40, 50, 60 hours a week can't do. But even those of us in the workplace can find time to be a blessing to others. We can make ourselves available. Think about just what it takes to get set up here on a Sunday morning. That the people come sometimes before 7.30 in the morning braving the elements and carrying everything in, setting everything up, then tearing everything down and putting it back. You have to be willing to sacrifice some time so that all of us can benefit from that. What if you have a particular skills, gifts, talents, abilities, I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit. Are you ready for it? For the common good. So God's blessings and giftings of us came to us so that we might be a blessing to others. It's for the common good. If you are in Christ here this morning, 
it is because God's favor first came to somebody else. I mean, if you want, you can go all the way back to Mary, Elizabeth, Jesus, the disciples, the martyrs, grandma, grandpa, mom and dad maybe, other family members, friends, maybe even a perfect stranger. God has used perfect strangers in people's lives to get their attention. And guess what? It's not going to end with you either. Just as God's favor, God's grace, the gospel came to you through others, God wants to use you so that others might know that same gospel, might have that same favor of God upon their lives. God's favor came to Mary and Elizabeth so that it might come to us. Here's the big difference. They carried a very special baby. We carry the gospel. We carry the good news of that child, the Christ child, into a lost and dying world, into a very dark world. That's one of the reasons why we light the candles. It symbolizes that light is is appearing in a dark world. And you know what light does? It dispels the darkness. And we are bearers of that light. God has entrusted to us not a special child in that any of us are pregnant with the Son of God, but he's given us a very special message, a message of hope, a message of of salvation that is intended to go to those who are perishing and destined for hell. I love how Francis Chan ties favor and the doctrine of hell together. He said this, hell is the backdrop that reveals the profound and unbelievable grace of the cross. It brings to light the enormity of our sin and therefore portrays the undeserved favor of God in full color. As I said before, God's grace was not lavished upon us simply to bring us to heaven, but to use us here on earth. How are you using the things that God has given you? How are you using his blessings? How are you uh, allowing God's favor in your life to impact others? Do you truly comprehend God's grace in your life? Do you understand what he has done for you, what he has given to you? That's good news. The gospel is good news. And like I said before, when when you get good news, you got to tell somebody. And here we are, just a couple weeks before Christmas, not even. And we have the best news the world could ever possibly hear. Folks, we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to give it away. We have to allow God to work through us. So this Christmas, I want to challenge you to consider doing a few things. I I hope you will tell somebody who needs to hear. I know that can be scary, but I want you to pray about it. I want you to pray. Who would God have you go to to share the good news of Christ? I want you to pray for them. 
and think of some tangible ways that you can get that message out. Maybe it's a a face-to-face conversation. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe you need to write a letter. Maybe you need to invite them to your home this Christmas or invite them at least to the Christmas Eve service that's coming up. Find ways this Christmas to demonstrate the love of Christ to others. I've heard some stories of, of how that's been happening. Um, people giving the clothes or jackets off their back to perfect strangers and telling them it's because Jesus loves you. It's because I care about you. It's not just a good act, but it's tied with the gospel. So I hope you'll do that, and I hope that you'll remember that as you gather together as a family, as you get ready to celebrate, and you open up all these wonderful gifts, remember that the greatest gift of all is Christ. And God gave him to you so that you would share him with others. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for um, the Christmas story. And it's so much more than just a story. Lord, it's the truth. It's the truth of your great love for us, your grace that has been shed in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that just as you used Mary and Elizabeth and so many others um, to to be bearers of, of your favor to us, Lord, we ask that you would do the same with us and through us that, Lord, that we would first and foremost take time to thank you for all of the blessings that we have in our life, whether they are perceived good or not. Lord, because you are sovereign, you are in control, and you waste nothing. And, Lord, I pray that we would be outward-focused, that we wouldn't just be thinking that these blessings are for us and us alone, but that you have given them to us that we might share them with others. And Lord, it's my prayer that there might be many more lovers of Jesus in your kingdom as a result of us hearing this message this morning. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.